Welcome to the Wild and Curious podcast, a show that's part travel, part feminism, and completely inspired by extraordinary women worldwide. I'm Teresa Christine. And I'm Suzanne Schmetting. I think I approached this uh, this idea with you right after the runoff election in Georgia. I mean, we were all sort of reading the news and following it and, you know, kind of watching what was going to happen. And um, a really big media presence was Stacey Abrams, who's yeah. a goddess, obviously. Absolute goddess, yeah. Right. Um, and I came across this tweet that she had said about how a lot of the work that was being done was really had, had to give a lot of credit to these other women who were on the ground doing a ton of important work for um, equi equitable voter rights. And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we got a chance to talk to some of these women who maybe weren't as high profile as Stacey Abrams, but were doing some enormous important work? That's such a good idea. And, it, you know, that's the kind of thing I think people love to latch on to, you know, the face of a movement or something. But there are so many people who are who went into all of this work for the runoff election. And it's not just like, oh, this started a couple months ago. This has been ongoing work for years. I love the idea of kind of highlighting how people here in the United States and specifically in Georgia, how we are working to make the world more equitable mm -hmm. by making our home more equitable. And so making it more fair for people and making it so that everybody's voices are heard. And I also really loved the idea that it was a really pivotal moment in our culture. And, and like you say, you know, when we have that pivotal moment of creating even a slightly more equitable world, it, it opens or a slightly more equitable home, it opens the rest of the world up to us. So to better understand the work that has been going on in Georgia, we talked to some of the women on the ground who have been actively helping to make a positive change in civic engagement. Hi, my name is Tamika Atkins. I'm the executive director of Pro-Georgia. Pro-Georgia is part of the State Voices Network. We are one of over 26 tables like us across the country. And here in Georgia, uh, I coordinate with 38 table partners, uh, co coordinate voter registration and civic engagement efforts across the state. Why specifically are you so passionate about this issue? You know, I started as a member of the table myself in 2014. At that time, I was running the Atlanta chapter of the National Domestic Workers Alliance. And there we organized nannies, housekeepers, and home care workers, uh, primarily uh, African diaspora, African-American uh, domestic workers for dignity and respect in the workplace and for their position. And, you know, we had the Affordable Care Act on the table at the time and Medicaid expansion. And Medicaid expansion was not approved. It wasn't passed in Georgia, although it would have been free for three years. And what we found out at the time after talking to our members, uh, many of the domestic workers we worked with uh, fell in the coverage gap, right? And so for them to have affordable health insurance, they needed to see Medicaid expanded in state. And they were surprised and disappointed when our governor at the time did not expand Medicaid. 
our partners collected over 500 signatures, you know, domestic workers talking to other domestic workers at Barnes and Nobles, at public parks, right? Wherever you can find nannies, housekeepers, and home care workers congregating, we went there. We did press conferences on the state capitol steps. We had uh, a lot of media uh, opportunity. We promoted Medicaid expansion as a priority for all workers, but primarily for domestic workers. And instead, our state legislature, working with our governor, moved the ability for our governor to single-handedly implement Medicaid expansion to making it a two-thirds vote of our entire state legislature. And we knew with our conservative state that it was highly unlikely that we would ever see two-thirds vote uh, to expand mm-hmm. Medicaid. And so at the time, myself and the members of the chapter said, well, what do we do? Where do we go from here? And you know, we said, you know, this means we have folks in the office that don't represent our needs and don't care about our priorities. And while we're out here building this organization, uh, you know, advocating on behalf and with domestic workers, we also need to build up a voting block of domestic workers, right? And so that started our first and my first real foray into voter registration, right? So again, it started with community. It started with passionate, you know, active leaders who hold full-time jobs, but also wanted to see some transformation, right? And when they realized our public officials weren't going to listen to us, we said, hey, then we have to, you know, have people in there that do. Yeah. And rather than sit around and be like, oh, there's nothing we can do, you really took action. And poking around on the pro-Georgia site, um, we had noticed that you mentioned the new American majority. Can you just sort of talk to us about like, who is the new American majority? Sure. So the new American majority, it's kind of a catch-all phrase for, you know, essentially who and what, who are going to be the majority of Americans in the near future. And so that means we're talking about, you know, communities of color. So African-American, African diaspora folks, you know, uh, Latinx, Asian-American folks. Um, We're talking about, you know, immigrants at large. We're talking about single women, right? We're talking about LGBTQ folks. And then we're also talking about low income folks. Now, you know, we, when you look at that um, description, we are actually the majority, right? Yeah. We are the majority. And yet we are often, our needs, our issues, and our voices are marginalized and not prioritized. How does the USA that was established in the 1700s not serve them? On paper, right? You know, it's, you know, one person one vote. Um, And yet, you know, our country has a history of, you know, African-Americans having to count jelly beans, right, in a jar or, you know, having to, you know, write from memory parts of the Constitution in order to access, right, their right Mm -hmm. as a citizen to vote, right? And so, you know, we've seen some of those more visible, more tangible, more obvious attempts at voter suppression go by the wayside, right, in the 60s and 70s, but they have been replaced with what can, what almost sometimes feels like administrative (laughs) voter suppression, right? They want to make it seem like, oh, it's for safety and because of voter fraud, but it's not, clearly. That's right. I I would really love to know what, what kind of work you did to get more voters registered prior to the runoff. The way that we do voter registration, we we got, we do what we call integrated voter engagement, and that means we don't do voter reg- we don't register someone to vote 
and then you never hear from us again. We don't show up in September or October, you know, and then disappear again. Our partners are present and visible year round in their communities, in the same communities year after year. Mm -hmm. And this matters when you're doing voter registration. You know, there is a feeling that voter registration, you know, the act of voting can feel transactional. It can feel that I'm only wanted for my vote. But when you see organizations like Women Engaged, when you see organizations like, you know, the Georgia Association for Latino Elected Officials, when you see organizations like Feminist Women's Health Center, that are in your community providing other services. Um, when those organizations that are there for uh, for their community day after day, when they say we also need you to register to vote, you see a, a willingness, right, and an appetite and an interest in then registering to vote because this is an organization, a logo, a face, a person that has been consistent in how they have shown up for and with that uh, your community. Voter suppression includes proposing and passing bills that end no-excuse-needed absentee voting, ban ballot drop boxes, and restrict automatic voter registration, all things that hit marginalized groups the hardest. So how are people organizing and helping more people get registered? Hello, hi, hey. I'm Edsai Ufa, CEO of the New Georgia Project, New Georgia Project Action Fund. And we are a highly effective, um, nonpartisan, nonprofit um, civic engagement organization that has registered over half a million young people and people of color to vote. Um, and that is working aggressively to change the culture of voting and elections and voting rights work in Georgia and across the deep south. That is incredible work. And we're so happy that you were there on the ground. And I would just love to know what, what about your background has made you so passionate about this? As an immigrant, um, as a person who became a naturalized citizen, you know, I swore an oath of allegiance to the Constitution, to the country, um, and to its people uh, to defend uh, us against, you know, all enemies, both foreign and domestic. I truly, truly believe uh, in the beauty and the, the importance of a government of, for, and by the people. And I believe that I am the people, mm -hmm. <laughs> that I'm part of the people. Um, and I hate hypocrisy. The idea that there is a sort of gap between the rhetoric of American democracy and the reality of democracy and how particularly women and femmes um, and people of color and poor people and low wealth folks experience um, the reality of how they experience democracy, again, which is different from the, the rhetoric um, that is often used and bandied about. Those are like the core values, the core experiences that have brought me to this work today. I got to tell you, like I, I started as a poli sci major in college and I was so disillusioned between the difference between the rhetoric and what I actually saw that I changed majors. So 
I would really love to know how how you see this happening within the legislature, how you see voter suppression happening, and what you are doing to actually reach people and, and the different mediums that you're using to to kind of change that that disillusionment and disenfranchisement into active engagement. I think that it starts by having conversations with people about the things that matter to them. Um, I think the changes that people want to see um, and connecting it to the active voting and connecting it, like identifying, like, so, you know, in our conversations this summer, for example, with the George Floyd um, protests and the idea that, you know, people are sick of unarmed Black folks dying at the hands of the police, at the hands of a force that we pay for, that is here, that's supposed to protect us and our communities, protect and serve, right? The backdrop is this huge presidential election that people are talking about. But when we got out into the streets at the protest and started talking to young folks, um, like, like, I just don't want to die before my time. Like, I don't want to be afraid of police. And so when we're talking to them and they say, well, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm protesting. And we're like, and and our organizers are trained to be like, well, that's why you should also register to vote. The governor, that's important. President, that's important for sure. But it's these local and municipal elections that really matter about the things that you have told me that you care about. You made a whole sign about it and it's clever. <laughs> well, and speaking of clever signs, I think I was reading somewhere that you used used a street art and an art show and, and a video game competition to to re- really engage voters and kind of get the community involved in, in this runoff election. And I am so interested in like what prompted that, what the video <laughs> games were like. Like, I think that's just such a cool way to use, you know, modern media as, you know, as an, a prompter of, of civic engagement. Yeah, I'm super excited about that. Um, I mean, ultimately, we want to change the culture of voting. We want to change the culture of civic participation, right? Um, voting has its limitations, right? You've got to be a U.S. citizen. you got to be mm-hmm. over a particular age, right? A healthy, sound body, sound mind, et cetera. And so thinking about the idea of meeting people where they are. And with the New Georgia Project and our focus being on the new American majority, right? We're thinking about young people, people of color. Like I remind folks that the folks who voted for the first time in the November general election were born in 2002. Meeting people where they are. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, we had a goal of registering 100,000 Georgians, um, particularly young Georgians and people of color in 2020. And then, you know, Miss Corona told us that we were going to be in our homes organizing for the yeah. better part of the year. Um, and so how do we meet people? How do we have authentic experiences? How do we have high quality conversations? How do we do this at scale with young people when we're all at our homes and we're all at our screens? Um, and while I am very much a fake gamer, um, <laughs> my games are, I play casual like puzzle games. Um, my phone, right? Um, I am very tapped in and aware of uh, this phenomenon of like watching other people play games, um, the role of esports players as cultural influencers, et cetera. So 
we couldn't go to dorm move-in days. We couldn't go to the peach festivals and the county fairs. We couldn't go to any of the music festivals. Uh, so we hosted these gaming nights um, on Twitch, which is a popular platform like YouTube for gamers. Yeah. Right? Hosted gaming nights. Um, come on, let's like let's talk with some popular gaming influencers, people that are building a name, building a brand for themselves, and talking about Gen Z, the power of Gen Z, the power of their vote, the world that they want to live in. Um, talking about, you know, what is it like to make your money as a professional video game player? All of that, right? Like just looking for places to have high quality, authentic conversations about things that matter. Um, and so, you know, on National Voter Registration Day, we hosted a gaming tournament on Twitch called Twitch to Vote. Um, we, hmm. we partnered with a, a dope streetwear brand called Union LA. Um, and we registered 9,000 people to vote in one day. Something that ensures citizens receive fair representation is making sure that every single person is counted. When all people are fairly counted and included, their area receives the correct and necessary funding. Businesses and employers are better informed about opportunities for economic development, and political districts and school zones are properly laid out. But while the census may happen once every 10 years, the efforts to count every single person are ongoing. So I'm Rebecca DeHart. I'm the CEO of FairCount, and we work to ensure that we receive a fair and accurate count in the census and to use all the different iterations of civic engagement as catalysts to bring uh, communities that have been ignored and left behind uh, to the forefront of civic engagement efforts. I actually worked for the census this past year, and I thought it was really fun and important work. And it was my kind of first exposure to it. But I would love to know what about your background specifically makes you so passionate about this? Yeah, I've um, I've been really lucky to try a lot of different things in my career. I've been working in Georgia and around the nation in politics or advocacy and in policy work for a little more than 20 years, but I'm a social worker by trade. And so when I first started, I was you know working down at the legislative session doing um, lobbying for different social justice and, and different progressive causes. Um, I did a lot with partisan campaigns. I was the director of the Democratic Party for a long time. I've worked, um, I've run campaigns. I've done a lot of uh, sort of partisan and hard side activity. And that really culminated with my end at the party in 2010, when the founder of Fair Count, Stacey Abrams, was running for governor. When that was over, um, I, at that point, had been probably what was considered pretty long in the tooth at the, <laughs> the Democratic Party. Uh, executive directors don't usually stay around that long. And I was ready for a change. And so uh, Stacey Abrams, our founder, was really thinking about how we can continue to build power in Georgia long term using all the mechanisms at our that were available to us, not just elections, and really wanted to start this organization that was based around the pending impending 2020 census. And so she asked me if I would um, join with Janine, Dr. Janine Abrams McLean, who is my partner in crime in this, to start this organization. Uh, so obviously, you know, you were working directly with the Democratic Party in Georgia before, and then you've moved on to Fair Count. So I feel like 
are you able to do things now as a leader that, that you couldn't do before? And like, why is it important for this independent political infrastructure to be in place? Yeah, absolutely. It's something that I've really learned a lot about since I came over to Fair Count. There's something about this 501c3 nonpartisan nonprofit space that's been extraordinarily freeing. Um, you know, we don't work for a party. We don't work for a candidate. We a hundred percent work for the voter or the person who's being counted in the census or, you know, however it is that you want to sort of identify that person within the community that you're working with. And it allows for so much more creativity. Um, it is, it, it is almost necessary that you bake in long-term organizing strategies to achieve objectives. It's, um, it's really an exciting place to be right now. No, absolutely. Because there was such a feeling, I, I think, in the country of of being really involved and and being engaged in this, you know, civic sort of procedure. And and I think one of the harder things is is getting that kind of civic engagement to last beyond the headlines of an ongoing election. So how do you make sure that people stay engaged, you know, stay active just beyond the elections? This is definitely the space that we're trying to occupy and to figure out and then to blast what we learn about. We know based on, you know, all the experience, we have a lot of folks with electoral experience on our team, a lot of folks from community organizing, and we know without a doubt that the people who are left behind in the census that are systematically undercounted, um, you know, and, and whose numbers do not become part of the picture of the nation for the next 10 years are the same people who are underrepresented at the polls, are facing barriers to voting, like voter suppression tactics, or who um, have lower than, than what you might expect voter registration rates, and are the same people whose communities are sliced and diced in a redistricting process that is actually built to ensure that they don't have any power. What we're really trying to get out there and 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 prove through this organizing and through a more long-term lens is if we don't have a fair and accurate census, we don't get fair and accurate political districts drawn. And then without those, we don't have fair and accurate elections. So it really takes all three of those. And the census is at the epicenter of that. Now, the census, of course, that people see it as sort of like a once in every 10 years type of event, but really it's a 10 year process that just culminates with the counting part that last year. So we really are trying to dig in to do more over that decade long process, but then use all the other iterations of civic engagement to keep that work going in sort of a long-term non-extractive way uh, that we build organizing. And I say that because this is, this is something that's so dear to our heart. You know, a lot of efforts, particularly like political efforts, We'll hire a bunch of organizers with, with whatever money they have left over, you know, pay them sort of pennies, you know, maybe kids just out of college and then go shoot them down to different places throughout the states that they probably have never even been to before and ask them to organize around somebody, a campaign or a candidate. And we really think that if you're going to build power, that we need to end that practice. And instead, we need to hire organizers in the communities that we're focused on, that have been left behind or who have had the franchise stolen from them in the past. You know, invest the resources, the training, and, and create this new class of nationally best practice organizers within these communities. And instead of seeing the census as the end of their job, seeing it as just one part of their job. 
Our organizers are back at it today. They're out there talking to people who did vote, doing some recollection gathering to see how it went for them. But we're starting to talk about redistricting. And we're also talking about COVID recovery and how COVID recovery is absolutely intrinsically tied to the census because the census will be what determines the distribution of everything from vaccines to dollars to the recovery and how it's tied to redistricting to ensure that they have the power to be heard and that the person that's representing them will fight for them underneath the gold dome or in Congress to ensure that that COVID relief will come back to the communities that have been hurt the worst. You know, for Suzanne and I, we, you know, we, we love doing this podcast. It is, we, we want it to be as intersectional feministy as possible. Um, but we also recognize that we're two white women and I'm, I'm wondering like, as someone who is, you know, a non-Black person, like how can white people become better accomplices and allies to to make the place that they live more equitable? Yeah, I mean, that's I'm I'm a white woman as well, and have been working in this movement for a long time, and I'm constantly a student of this as well, and trying to do better and be better, and to really go further and having an understanding of the systems. You know, I hear a lot from people sometimes surprise um, when terrible things happen or like when voter suppression happens or when barriers are set up to keep particular communities from participating. And it's really our job to realize that the systems were actually built that way. You know, the way that we count people in the census, it was a system built to count white homeowners property owners. It, it was not built to count America. And so we have to see these systems and, and, and work alongside, and that's very key, alongside our partners to ensure that we're doing our equitable share to dismantle these systems and to bring attention um, that this is, this is very real. And, and listening is key and doing everything. If you're a white person in power, um, that hiring practices, that payment practices, everything is uh, with a racial equity and a racial justice lens. The election in Georgia of January 2020 run resulted in a historic win. The first African-American and the first Jewish-American from Georgia were elected to the Senate, reflecting what Tamika mentioned about the new American majority. Now, the wins by no means mark the end of a hard work, but the representation of a more diverse demographic is definitely cause for celebration and gratitude. To close out the show, we asked Tamika and Say and Rebecca all the same question. As you look to the future of Georgia and the United States, how do you feel? I am excited for the possibilities that are on the horizon. You know, I think uh, we have to give a lot of credit, a lot of credit to the Black Lives Matter movement. They have, you know, been unapologetic and unafraid to talk about white supremacy uh, and, you know, how it impacts all of us. And I think although we still have, frankly, I think politically, right, a divided country, I think we have elected officials who exacerbated right? And who preyed on people. And we now have this opportunity, I think, to figure out, like, what does, what is the America that we want to live in? 
Oh, I feel optimistic. I feel optimistic. I um, We have lived through and experienced this kind of backlash before. Um, so I'm very mindful about um, how to come from a place of love, how to come from a place of power, how to not have us move from a place, operate from a place of fear. Um, and the idea that unity without atonement and without acknowledgement of the harm that has been caused um, is oppressive and not unity at all. They say you cannot fix what you have not faced. And so hoping, you know, it feels good because I think that we are facing um, head on what ails us as a country um, and what ails us as a state and as communities and as movement organizations. And I feel powerful. I'm so excited about where we are right now, particularly here in Georgia. Um, I've been really lucky to work with our founder, Stacey Abrams, for some time now. And she always sees things about 10 steps ahead of, of everybody else, it, it, it feels like. And um, to see so much of her vision come to fruition and to see what investment in communities um, can do, it's absolutely glorious. Um, and we have so much more work to go, but we're, we're on the right track. And I think that there's a recognition now that this work isn't easy, that it's going to take some time, some elbow grease, and a lot of money and some good people, and that people are, are more interested maybe in starting to see it from this perspective as a long-term solution um, to really serious problems instead of just Band-Aid fixes that happen every two years in November. Okay, we have a lot of links for you here. So check out the show notes for all of them. You can learn more about ProGeorgia at ProGeorgia.org. Learn more about the New Georgia Project at NewGeorgiaProject.org. New Georgia Project can be found on Twitter as at NewGAProject and Instagram as at NewGeorgiaProject. You can also find Ense on social media at NseUfat404 on Instagram or NseUfat on Twitter. Learn more about FairCount at FairCount.org and they're on Instagram and Twitter as at FairCount and Facebook at FairCountGeorgia. If you enjoy listening to the Wild and Curious podcast and would like to contribute to helping us make this thing run, you can. You can Venmo us at the Wild and Curious or via PayPal at paypal.me slash the Wild and Curious. Anything you send, big or small, will go towards the costs of running a podcast that's dismantling the patriarchy. It means so much to us when people rate our show on iTunes and leave reviews. We read those sweet nothings, and yes, we cry about them. We also love it when people send our podcast to someone who they think will enjoy it. Feminists sharing feminist content is the best. <laughs>